You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is Joshua Marsh. Josh is a costume designer who has been working in television for the bulk of his career. We overlapped for a year at the University of Evansville for undergrad, and he is now a fellow historian. And we recorded this on that one beautiful warm day that we had a few weeks ago. Do you remember that, New York? Remember? One day it will be back. He recently designed the first season of Seven Seconds on Netflix, which just went up. I think you can stream the whole season now. I'm looking forward to it. And you can follow him on Twitter to see what he's up to, at Joshua J. Marsh. I hope you enjoy the 110th episode of The Compass. So the place that I always start is, what do you do to try to keep from going <laughs> to the dark side as an artist? I love the question, and I have thought a lot about it. Um, and I think the dark side itself has kind of changed a little bit over, like, I think it changed for everyone in November of 2016, but I think the darks, uh, and so it used to just be, like, travel and being creative and working as much as I could. And then when I started, um, and then when like the world changed, it became a little bit more about uh, trying to devour different kinds of art that were really special and be inspired by things I wouldn't ordinarily be inspired by um, and traveling to places I would never get to go to. Um, so, and I, I have always had like a bit of wanderlust and whenever I have had like a trauma, I've always gone away sometimes mm. for a week or two. And then like in 2015, I went to Australia for six weeks oh my God. unplanned, you know, it was supposed to be a week, but so I, <laughs> that's, I, I would say the biggest thing I probably do is travel and then devour as much different kinds of art as I can. And a lot, of, and I love long form storytelling. So I watch a lot of, it sounds like silly, but I watch a lot of television, but I like, I really want to see as many different series as I can. And so that kind of helps. And then I can always draw on that and you get inspired and television itself is inspired by so many different things from the beginning that I feel like I'm just building a catalog of inspiration whenever I watch something new. Yeah. It's research. Yeah. Constant. Um, well, what does the dark side look for you? What does it look like most often? I, I used to just feel like the dark side was just like when you get depressed when you weren't working enough or if you had like a rough couple of days. But I think it um, it's gotten darker, I think. Like sometimes I'll just get so depressed when I haven't felt like I've been useful creatively or mm -hmm. if I've been in a cre this is going to sound really bougie but like a creatively oppressive situation but I want to <laughs> explain what I mean because it sounds ridiculous but like I work a lot in almost exclusively in television and there's constantly it's very collaborative but at the same time it's con there's constantly like eight or nine or a dozen different collaborators and opinions and thoughts right. and ideas and then there's also a whole team of people. So these are all people above me. And then there's also a whole team of people that work with me to implement all of this. And sometimes, you know, the two don't go together. And, it, and it's really hard because everyone is putting all of their vitriol and emotion, like, into you when that happens. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, well, we just are putting clothes on camera. We should, you know. But that can kind of take its toll because 
I love what I do so much. I love getting to be a costume designer and getting to work in television and on sets. And so when that does happen, it can really bring me down. Yeah. Because I'm sure, yeah, it must be frustrating to not have like a single creative voice. Right. And it's what's well, like not... you would if maybe you were the costume designer for a play for, or, or for a film. Or yeah. For a film. Well, and it's not just that. Like, I love getting to do it because at the end of the day, I always feel like whoever gave the note was right. And they are because I'm in a vacuum and they are not in a vacuum. Mm. They see or they have the ability to see the whole picture. Um, but it is it is different. And I just uh, designed uh, an indie in the fall with uh, Jennifer Morrison from Once Upon a Time. And uh, she directed it. And it was one of the first times that I realized what it was to be like creatively fulfilled. I've never felt so like. creative and in the dirt it was so interesting and I was like I've I've always loved my job and I have always loved what I was doing but it was fulfilling in such a different way Hmm. and I mean like you can't make a life doing or I can't make a life doing that because it doesn't because I want so much more than that necessarily provides but it was so it was such an awakening to have like in your 30s in the middle of Kingston, New York, and be like, wow, this is really, this must be what people say when they are like, I need to go and like feed the beast. Yeah. And I, cause I always used to think it was, I've always loved like just making a great living and really liking what I did. And then when I did that film um, this fall, I was like, wow, I did, had no idea that I could feel like this from. Right, or that it was missing. Maybe. That it was missing. Yeah. And then, I mean, I still, I love. I've gotten to work on some incredible stuff, but it was that, it was like a a trigger moment. It was really Mm. interesting. Is there a lot of pressure to, can we talk a little bit about like the process of what you've been doing for TV and like, is is there a lot of time pressure on it? Yes. Since you're like going from episode to episode and cranking it out? Basically you're shooting a film in eight eight or nine days. Um, And what's your prep timeline for it? Sometimes as little as seven days. Wow. So on the show that I did uh, last winter, Seven Seconds, which comes out Friday. I, you know, <laughs> I was Googling it. I was doing my internet stalking, and I saw that Raul's in it. I yeah, so he is. I, oh, I'm a big yeah, fan of Raul, and his girlfriend Alexis is very dear to me as well. Yes, of course. You guys are in the same. Yeah. Um, she, I met her like season one of Girls, or maybe season two. You guys have known each other a long yeah. time. Yeah. I need um, to get her on here, too. Yeah. Uh, but it's sometimes you'll get oh and the other thing that happens it doesn't happen is I've done a lot of cable TV of late and in network TV the biggest thing that'll happen is you get that script that needs to start shooting in seven days and then you'll have a meeting or two and then you'll get a blue page blue pages or a blue script that's a new script mm. sometimes new story new characters like new locations new yeah. yeah so that doesn't we don't that doesn't happen to us as much in non-network but I remember in network it would be like oh well we'll just wait until we get a script that we can shoot <laughs> when you guys are sure. And you've already, but I mean, it all happens. Like you're, it'll all come together in the moment. I feel like, and at the end of the day, like we can get stressed out or want to kill each other, but it just closed and we're just making art really. Yeah. And so the, st- the stakes are high and there's so much pressure, but I do feel like sometimes we put too much pressure on ourselves when we could just say it'll all happen, like if they cast the guy at nine p.m. and he works at five a.m. tomorrow, like 
I, it's what was available at the Coles that closes late, or it's what we had in stock. You know, like we can't move mountains, but there is the timing, the time pressures are real. <laughs> and also sometimes I'll get a script and then have to be in a meeting to talk about it like an hour later. Right. To have like the create the one creative conversation I might get with everyone at the table, aside from when I just have my one-on-one with the writer or the EP, you know? You must have really gotten good at making decisions quickly. Well, yeah. I mean, you kind of have to, and you also have to get good at forming opinions and, like, the red flags quickly or Mm. thinking about, um, oh, is this going to get wet or is that, you know, from your first read, because you you only get that one chance to have everyone there for the concept meeting to talk about how it's all going to go down. So you kind of have to be quick, and you also have to know the answer you want to hear before you ask the question Hmm. sometimes. And what I mean by that is, like, I'll say, he's been at home for an hour. Should he have changed? And if he has changed, I think that might indicate that it's a different day. And if he hasn't, we'll understand that it's the end of the day. And, you know, silly, like, nitpicky things like that. Or the scarf or no scarf. Or do you think they would wear accessories or men's accessories or women's, you know, like, the nitty-gritty of it sometimes you have to think about in the moment whether or not you even know whether you want to do it. You want to know whether or not it's an option because then I have that meeting, but I might not get to fit this person until the day they work or, you know, or I might fit them later that day and I have a fitting room full of stuff that's no longer relevant. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't happen as often, but you know, that's kind of the fun of it though. Yeah, totally. Or you'll read the script and you'll, you'll notice there's like one line you didn't notice before and you'll be like, Oh crap. Like, (laughs) Oh, she's supposed to be... That was a whole clue. In a Hawaiian shirt. You know, like, that would happen on... It would. We wouldn't, like, make the the mistake, but on girls, there would always be... There would often be these, like, uh, scripted costumes. Right. Constantly. And you'd be like, oh. But then it would, like, lock them into the... Like, sometimes it would lock them into this change for, like, a whole episode or... You know, and it was always this one little joke. And what was interesting <laughs> about it is so often the one little joke would get cut and then... They're in and this then everything costume, was based on that. <laughs> but it still always worked. Nice. And what I, which is the reason I kind of learned on girls working with um, Jen Rogan that like you have to sometimes just trust that even if it doesn't seem like it is right in the moment or it doesn't make a lot of perfect sense, it's not crystal clear that maybe at the end of the day, like it's still the joke will still be there even if they don't make it. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about how after school you got into television and if that yeah. was like a conscious choice or how your journey's kind of gone? I think it was a conscious choice. Um, I really, when I was in college, I had this dream of designing clothes for soaps. I've always loved, like, that it was constantly moving and it was constantly, like, evolving storytelling. Um, and they never repeat. Hmm. I mean, they might repeat a piece or two, but they never repeat looks on soaps. Or they didn't really then. Um, And then they kind of started to die. Uh, (laughs) As soon as I was moving to New York, like, one by one, in the course of a year. It was was quick. It was like a year or two. Like my plan. Yeah, and I was kind of like, oh, like, I had always kind of just thought that would be what I would do. And I didn't think about... And at the time, New York didn't have the television boom that it had has now or had like three or four years ago even right and did you move here right after Evansville Uh, immediately yeah like I went and did summer theater uh upstate and then drove to the city and stayed with Drea yeah (laughs) and here you are and here I am um but then I I moved here and I uh worked on Broadway for with a little bit here and there with uh, Jacob Clymer Mm -hmm. um and 
then just kind of took a little bit of a break for a while and was doing summer theater somewhere else and got an email from the designer of The Good Wife asking me if I could come help out for a couple of days. And then I ended up being there for nine months. (laughs) And then uh, Girls happened. And then everything else snowballed. You know, there was... uh, And then Orders of New Black. And they ended up being the two, like, most culturally relevant shows. I know, that's crazy. That was, you know, and it was the only thing... It was, within a year of each other, it was not... It was so interesting looking back, and I was like, how did that even evolved in that way but I'm so blessed and you were starting out working as I started like as a, a PA yeah mm. on The Good Wife um, with Dan Lawson who's one of the most brilliant people I've ever met and has taught me so much about what it is to be a designer and to be a showman in the room mm-hmm. and then I moved up from there and then started assisting on girls and then Orange is the New Black and uh, started designing Orange is the New Black in season three for about half, uh, some of the episodes, six or seven of the episodes, and then continued that to season five and then went on to seven seconds uh, and was the costume designer of that. And it was so incredibly fulfilling. One of the best <laughs> things I've ever done in my life was getting to be the designer of a series that, like I read the deadline, like Slugline, and was like, this is one of the best things I, I will ever read. I can't wait to read this. And then for me to be the person that gets to be there and from the beginning, getting yeah. to tell this, helping to tell this story that I, about a black teenager murdered by police and, and what that does to a community and what it, it, it just meant a lot to me from, from day one. And, and so, and now here I am after that. And I feel like it was all kind of a blur to, even though it's been like nine years of my life climbing this ladder yeah. to get here. What was what was that like? Like your first day as the costume designer for your own show? Um, well, I did. The, a woman did the pilot named Abigail, and I did it with her. And we and then she left because she needed to go. She had some health things. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first day they one of uh, my PAs put up. Uh, we all had like signs over our desk, and uh, one of the PAs had the production office print Joshua Marsh costume designer and put it like outside my office. And so when I came back from set, like, this is the first thing I saw. And I remember I took a selfie and put it on Instagram that day. Um, it's still there. <laughs> um, and it was just like, just like a selfie of me, like with my little card. You know, and I casual. was like, yeah, but I, I loved it. Um, but that, and I, I mean, and then we were a TV show and we were already shooting. So it was business as usual. You know, right? You didn't have a chance. I, we were. I was in the middle of prepping an episode. I had done a fitting yeah. at five o'clock in the morning that morning, and we were prepping the night. You know, like it was. That's amazing. The train was moving, and so and I was already on it. So like my moment was like the line producer pulled me into his office and was like, uh, "I'm really excited that you're going to have this opportunity, and uh, you know, get some payoff for all of your hard work, and we're really excited that you're on board." And and then I took my selfie, and then the rest was just the work. <laughs> What are some things that you've learned about being a leader throughout your career? Because I feel like, especially on television, you're really working with these huge teams and delegation and all of that. Like, how do you deal with those elements? That we, as artists, are not educated to be leaders in the corporate world in that way because you're a manager you're a manager we're all we are and we're all these creative people thrown into these managerial positions and 
what's unique about it is that you come, you don't realize it at first what that in addition to being in charge of like setting the look and implementing all of that, you're also, or excuse me, implementing, implementing <laughs> you're also in charge of these people as your employees, as a department head. And so then when like HR issues come up or things of that nature, like you're all, you're also carrying that. And it's, it's hard having to have those kinds of conversations when you have no idea what, that you were ever going to have to have them. <laughs> Yeah, because we all have a lot of experience with like building an ensemble and, and building a relationship. A team. Yeah, and so but... I always want to work with people that are, you know, I always like working with people that are are, are cool and easygoing and are creative, and we kind of get each other. That you have like a, a short list, a shorthand with. But um, I think the hardest thing is finding that rhythm. In addition to obviously the the parts you don't think about, but finding that rhythm and finding your creative language. Um, and I was so blessed to work alongside someone that we shared a brain, you know, uh, for seven years, Jen Rogan. Um, mm-hmm. and so then I, so then now that I'm a costume designer, I'm like searching for that, you know, someone that I can, don't have to use words to communicate with in that way. Yeah. And it must be interesting to be on the other side of it. It's so interesting to walk in. The leader, the mentor. Yeah. And, um, and on television, especially, it's all you're all, you're always hither, thither, and yon. So like my assistant would will do fittings without me sometimes, and because just logistically we can't be in two places at once. And you know you find that person that like you text them when the person is cast, and you don't see the shopping and can't be there for the fitting, but then you get the photos, and you're like, yeah, great. And you trust them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I'll be like, oh, maybe not this photo, but these other eight options are excellent. And then you know, I think trust is a big part of it, though. But I, I like to put trust in people because why, why carry like what? Why shoulder that? Why take that on? Right, have all the responsibility um, on you. That's a skill, though. It is. Delegation is not easy. I'm not for very all good at us. it. <laughs> I, I I delegate the things that I know I can delegate, but then there's things that I just don't. I, I like I like don't like delegating a budget. I love doing a budget myself because hmm. I feel like, for me, it actually is a creative moment because as I'm going through and I'm like what's uh you know Daniel has a change here and I, I'm thinking about what that's going to cost like is $300 $300 or $1,500 like or three grand that's my creative process sometimes right there you know yeah setting so. those guidelines for <laughs> yeah really how how much you can allow yourself right. <laughs> for that look right well yeah that too yeah and like <laughs> Sometimes you're like, oh, I can't actually do any of this with my $5. My creative choice is this or this. I mean, that's a legitimate... That that does happen in television. And I mean, it happens everywhere. It happens in every art form. I mean, sometimes on uh, shows, you'll be in a meeting and they'll be like, hey, this scene would actually work better if it was in the bedroom instead of the stairwell for the schedule. So can we just... Like, sometimes (laughs) it's as simple as that, you know? Yeah. and, (laughs) And so you're like, well, it was never even... It's out of my hands anyway, you know? Yeah. What does your family um, think about you choosing to be an artist for your career? Uh, well, my mother was a painter, oh, or good. is a painter. She still paints. Um, and so we always had a very artistic home and always had like a lot of influences. Um, I was grew up constantly going to museums and going to art classes and sculpting and talking about installation pieces when I was nine years old. Like, I was that kid. And I'm an only child, so I just spent my entire childhood talking to adults. Yeah. And drinking apple juice out of a champagne glass, you know, like, (laughs) um, I wish. Uh, 
and you're the, from Florida? I'm from, I grew up in Florida, yeah. Okay. And, um, and so I always felt that if I, it, to my mother's credit, I will say that it, there was never a question of, you know, you have to do this thing or that thing because it's the right, like, choice fiscally or anything like that. She was always a very, like, creatively supportive person. Um, and it was like, you know, go do it and go do whatever is in your heart. And if you want to go get a BFA and that's your journey, let it be your journey. I mean, I don't know if it's going to end the way that you want it to, but you still have to go and live it. Like, it's not like she could give me better advice than she had lived her own life. Um, you know, it's someone who drops everything to go paint in Mexico for a weekend, you know, like <laughs> it's a very, but it was, it was a very creatively supportive place to be. And also I always constantly had different kinds of influences than I think a lot of young people would have had, like who grows up going to the Dolly museum. Yeah. You know, my mom lives in Tampa now. She loves that museum. I love the Dolly museum. <laughs> I still I'm haven't the been. First I need time to go I, next time I visit her. You, it's, uh, seeing some of the masterworks in person is it bowls you over. Yeah. It's breathtaking. Do you think you're in New York for the long haul? Have you I, thought about LA or? I have. Um, New York to me feels like home for sure. I have, I'm sure that my career and my life will take me other places, but I think that New York is where I will want to land. And it, there's so, I love so much about it. And whenever I do go away for a long time and, or even a week and I come back, I'm always like, oh, I'm home. Like, I know exactly what I'm going to get in New York, which is unpredictability, <laughs> you know? Um, can we talk about your traveling a little bit? Sure. I love that that's your... Yeah. I mean, I've been to six continents. Your literal escape. <laughs> <laughs> My literal escape. I mean, whenever I... Even uh, a couple weeks ago, I was in New Orleans. We had done like a boys weekend in New Orleans and it happened to be really cold. And so we didn't get the warm weather. And then... Right. And then it got down to 30 degrees in New Orleans and drizzled and the city shut down <laughs> because of the ice and they don't, yeah. you know, and I mean, that almost used to happen in Evansville. Almost. Like if they got a half inch of snow. I remember that there was one ice school. storm my junior year and school shut down for like three days. <laughs> and I remember my, we had ordered like a pizza and we like made it stretch. <laughs> I distinctly remember ordering a pizza and then like having a conversation like as a group that like we gotta make this might need to be tomorrow's meal too you know like because <laughs> we're all such wusses yeah <laughs> um I have lost my train of thought so New Orleans oh sorry so <laughs> oh and then so I randomly decided to go to Orlando for the the weekend from New Orleans and had one of my friends come from Savannah to visit me um but sometimes it's just like I feel like I need like a burst of something different. And sometimes it's just the impulse of going somewhere new is, does the healing for it. It heals itself, you know? Yeah. Um, Shake things up. Yeah. But uh, it kind of started a couple of years ago. I wanted to do something for, I don't do really do like family holidays. Um, so I wanted to do something for Christmas. And so I was like, well, let me go. I'll go to to Europe for Christmas. And so I went to, I think I went to like the UK and Spain and Paris for like three weeks or something. And, and you then travel a lot by yourself. By myself, yeah. That's fantastic. Met, and meet, you meet the most fascinating people and you... Yeah. And it's the most open-minded, open humans. And so you'll be there. I always remember when I was in Australia, 
diving the reef. Um, we <laughs> were on this boat, and I, there was this girl from Ireland there, and uh, an English girl, and uh, a guy from Salt Lake who was an ex-Mormon. And um, we were all just sitting there gabbing about what had brought us to, to traveling. And it was so interesting. So many humans are out there that their life wasn't going the way they wanted, or they experienced a loss or a trauma, or... They just had a weird day and they dropped everything to go and travel the world for six months or a year. And it's so inspiring to talk to people that have done that because they are so aware of the fact that they know nothing about the world around them. Hmm. Like we all, I feel like we all know nothing, you know? And so all we can do is explore. That curiosity. Yeah. And and I also remember that same, on that same boat, everyone, and this was supposed to be like, I was supposed to leave Australia. I'd been there for like a week and a half. I was supposed to leave like in three days, you know, from Melbourne. And I also remember on that boat, they were, uh, they were all talking, several people were talking about New Zealand and they were like, oh, I went for a day and stayed for six months. The most beautiful place I've been on earth. It changed my whole life. And so like, while I'm sitting there, I'm like, well, I, I, have, to go to New Zealand. I have to go to New Zealand. I can't in good conscience. You know, and I was like, what do I do? I can only go for a few days. And then this girl had been like, oh, I went to this beautiful little village. It's near all these vineyards. It's called Paihia. And it's like four hours north of Oakland by bus. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So then I like go back to my like hostel that night and like book, book a, a flight to Auckland. And then I get my bus ticket. And two days later, I was in the little village of Paihia. And I stayed there for a week and oh my God. would like go kayaking in the morning and one karaoke at a backpacker bar. And <laughs> a fifth, and it was the prize was a $50 bar tab, but the most expensive drink was like $4. So that was. <laughs> the next morning was a little slow. Um, <laughs> um, that I, I always think of my my Australia trip trip as the most transformative um, because I remember we had just um, left a job that was terrible. I had just had my heart broken for like really like obliterated for the first time, mm. you know, and I didn't really know what was going to happen next for me career wise or in my life. And I could kind of tell that like, I couldn't, there wasn't really talking I could do about it anymore. So I was like, let me just go and see if I find something while I'm away. And in that six weeks, I guess I did because I came back and I still feel like that trip, like I came back a, a changed person and always feel like that was something I'll always remember. And that uh, will be part of my, my, like my personal legacy to myself. I feel like part of that trip is like in, entwined in there. That's so amazing. Yeah. But I mean, I've also gone to other like arbitrary places alone, like Morocco and Turkey and Algeria. And so I, I always want to try something different and try something new and explore. And I think, and I, it's not even like creative inspiration. I get there. I just love talking to people, love people and stories and learning about people's like highs and lows and their moments. And I think that's the most, the, what you really get from, from traveling is the, the relationships that from, with people that you've known for a day or two and the conversations that you have with them that are so deeply personal because there's no reason to hold anything back. And I will always love that. Yeah, and then you always remember this person who you met for like I will four always hours remember, yeah, the, 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 the ex-Mormon on the boat, I was this man named Keaton, and I still I still think about him to this day. Mm. He was a really interesting guy, and he had bought a car in Australia. He was like, Australia's gonna be me now. Like, <laughs> and I he was so committed 
to like that be in his new life and I just remember thinking that was so cool and I wish I could do something like that but I have no other skills so (laughs) well I mean that's a big benefit to working in tv is like you have these you work so intensely for periods of time and then you might have a break where you can travel right and I assume you earn like a decent enough wage that you can make these trips happen totally and that's one of the things that I have always loved about getting to work in television and film is that I get to make a living at it that doesn't feel like, I don't feel like I'm sacrificing anything to be a creative. Right. Which is not always Except for maybe my time. (laughs) Yeah. Except for maybe my time because it is like. You're you're working. Constantly. Constantly. And and I haven't done theater in a while, but I, I, I do remember that being part of what felt oppressive about it because what I didn't know when I was like an idealistic 19 year old was that the life that I wanted was going to need more than just I wanted to build a life and I didn't know that I would be able to do that um, unless I was making a really good living and I feel like I was so blessed to find the perfect storm of a, a job that I love that I am good at that I can feel good at mm. um, and that affords me the opportunity to get to also be a human being and have uh, these great people in my life and go and explore six continents before I was 30 yeah, years old. a certain freedom yeah. that money allows you that can't be denied. Yeah. And what was so interesting since in the past like year or two is that this is the first time that I've, I spent so much time like making that living and like, pounding the pavement and working 50 weeks a year. And then I had like some of the most creatively, I had like one of the most creatively fulfilling 18 months ever. And then had all this time off afterwards. And that was when kind of like the, for the first time I really felt like the darkness itself. And part of it felt like maybe the darkness is worth it. If you get to feel this good when you get to make something new. Mm. Um, Do you think part of it was like tying too much of your um, identity to working 50 weeks a year and you hadn't like realized (laughs) what would happen when that wasn't the case? It was. That's very uh, perceptive. Uh, I didn't know that 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 was the case. Okay. (laughs) But I didn't. um, I've always identified myself by my work and because I, I feel like I moved to New York and knew what I wanted to do and like... My brain's... I've always, like, wanted to live in the solution. So I moved to New York, and I had, like... I only had, like, 1500 bucks in the bank. So I got an apartment, and the first thing I did was I got a restaurant job um, at this... Or so I was a bartender at this, like, restaurant in the Midtown. And then I... Then I could feel like I had the freedom to go and find that, like, you know. So then I got the first uh, job on Broadway, like, eight months later. Mm-hmm. But I've always... Part of my identity has always been tied to what I think success is. And success to me has always been, like, working yourself to the bone and uh, <laughs> never being available. And <laughs> sometimes I feel like I even, like, will protect myself with work from having to, like, acknowledge some of the other things that might feel like shortcomings in my life. And so mm-hmm. it was also, I think, coming to terms with that is, that was real. <laughs> That was real to be like, oh, I am like in my 30s and and single and not like I don't feel stable and like 
Yeah, what do I do with these other parts of my life? What do I do with life? these other parts of my life? And then I was like, oh, maybe I should start dating again. And then I realized that, like, that was horrible and I didn't want to be doing that. <laughs> because trying to, like, go out on first dates with people when you're, like, not working that moment, but if they don't get it, they're not, you know? It was right. really weird. If and they don't understand your lifestyle. Yeah, and as you know, like, if you aren't working as much, like, you aren't around as people as much. And yeah. so after a while, the few people you do see become, like... You're like everything sounding board. And so a couple of my friends were like, dude, <laughs> chill. <laughs> like, go talk to someone, go find. So I was like, oh, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was, that was a really, it, 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 that was, it was real. Like having that first time off to not have that shield of constantly being in motion. Right. Um, I felt like a shark and I had stopped moving for a second and it was over. I love that. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Are there any other lessons you've learned over the last couple of years? that you're really proud of that you want to talk about? Oh, I think um, that your personal relationships are important. And if your professional relationships and your personal relationships converge, I think what you need to protect is the personal mm-hmm. because the work will come and go. But there, when you spend 14 hours a day with these people five days a week for months at a time, you they become like family. And so there are people that I've encountered in my career that have become so special to me and you know when then when you do have a creative conflict or it's something's just not working it it can really take its toll and I I think that the important thing to remember and what I want to remind myself every day is that like what you need to it is professional but what you need to protect is if it means something to you is that that personal Hmm. um and also that uh we're we're all here we're on the same side we all want to make the same yeah. product. So let's not, the work's still going to be there tomorrow. And if it doesn't hap- need to happen tonight at nine, like let's take a moment to ourselves. Right. Because li- having a life that you are proud of and that you enjoy is really important. Yeah, it's so easy. Outside of your work. It's so easy to blow these things out of proportion. Yeah. <laughs> like you had said earlier, like right. it's just close. <laughs> it is, but I mean, I'm saying that also to remind myself. <laughs> yeah. Because it is just closed, but there's like four ADs on the walkie screaming about it, and like, you know, your phone's ringing off the hook, and EPs, you know. You're like trying to check actors, but you also need to be in a fitting, but they're, (laughs) whatever. Do you have any other uh, creative outlets or hobbies that you dabble in? I love to sing karaoke. Perfect. You know, it's very uh, cathartic to just leave it all on the stage. Do you have a go-to song or are you just you, well, we quantity like over? Quantity. <laughs> I always feel a like quantity. I always will lay down some Sam Smith and usually a little Andre Day. Lovely. Um, just because I think it's fun to like take folks songs. to church. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do. I, I write a little bit. Um, it. The hard thing for me about writing has always been like I've only ever been inspired to write when I was in the middle of something else. And so, like, working on another job or something, like, when I have the time to sit and be creative that way, I never am inspired, so. Um, and I love, I I also, like, love, uh, I think fitness is so transformative. Like, uh, I went to a Soul Cycle class four years ago, I think, maybe five, and it changed my life. It's And it's so ridiculous, but I never knew that, like, I could feel that good just from fitness and I, and so that became a, a huge part of my life and my emotional health Yeah, too. It was like soul cycle. You can go and like turn off your brain. And when you come out, you're like covered in sweat, but you've also left anything. You've also left all of that burden 
in there. Yeah. I've, I've done, I haven't done Soul Cycle, but I've, I've started spinning over like the last year and a half and I never thought I would like yeah, that. It's, it's so. I was like the loud music, the like pack mentality. Like I like to be alone. Like, I'm going to hate this. And it's then I as ridiculous. It. Yeah. It's as ridiculous as all of the bullet points of what you're doing would lead you to believe. But <laughs> when you're on the bike and you're like living, I was like, when I'm on the soul cycle bike, I'm, I'm fucking Beyonce. Like I, and like, I could laugh, I can cry, I can sing along. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I want to ride in the front and really like hit it. And sometimes like I went yesterday and I hadn't been in a while um, because I, just haven't (laughs) it's hard like it's hard but um and I remember and I was like in the very back but I was living my my life back there I was like whipping my hair and stuff and like my towel was like in the air (laughs) but that always really makes me feel good and then I also uh I love museums and I love uh wandering yeah that's the best thing about this city yeah I can turn on um I can't do it with podcasts but I can do it with music I can't wander and listen to a podcast, but I could throw some music on and walk like 10 miles around the city, like walk, pick a bridge and, you know, go on a little journey and take a bunch of weird photos. And then, um, at some point I want to make a little book of them. <laughs> I, well, whenever I go on my like epic walks, which is always like, usually like interborough mm-hmm. and I take a bunch of pictures and then I never like really put them anywhere. I always like think someday it'll be something to me maybe. Right. Do you have any like passion projects that you've been daydreaming about making sometime soon i mean i would love to be a part of the a little life adaptation oh my god yeah did Um, they finally choose a director i don't think so i think it's still in flux Um, i know at one point they were talking to andrew haig who did looking oh really but i assume that would be a really unique approach it didn't work out at some point because i haven't heard anything else about it but that book is oh my god incredible to me I read it actually. Um, I started it when I was in Europe this summer, and didn't know that it was going to destroy my soul. And I um, just destroy you. Yeah, the happy years. <laughs> I I read it over a Christmas, three Christmases ago maybe now, and it and I had tried to start it in New York a couple times and like couldn't get past the first chapter, and then we went to Miami to visit family for Christmas, and I just read it all in like. A week with your family. <laughs> well, we no, we had some days for ourselves too. Right. <laughs> but we were staying at Frankie's parents' apartment. Yeah. They were out of town, and I just like read it and cried. Yeah, I. Frankie was so like, "I'm just beautiful. gonna leave you alone." <laughs> and to talk to people, my favorite thing about a little life is that when you, if you say the name of the book, anyone that is in the room that has read it has something to say about what it meant to them. Oh my god! And I honestly can't think of another time that that's been the case with a, a contemporary novel like that but to, to have it mean so much to so many people and to at the same time have it be this monstrous like intimidating opus of yeah. despair i don't know if we're gonna make it into like a mini series i heard a mini series yeah, but it's i so big. it's so big i just sense. i would dream a dream okay. to be on a project like well, that putting it out into i'm putting the it universe. into the universe i even just to read the adaptation the, the script adaptation and to but i feel like there's so much story to tell those characters are so compelling and what i love so much about costumes is that you get to communicate so much about a character through their the choices that they make with their clothes and i can't even imagine like 
putting Jude or Willem into like a box like that. And I, the, I, the creative opportunities abound. Um, and that book was just so special. So special. Do you feel like you ever have the time on these television projects to really, uh, do you like to make the actors a part of your decision making? Of course. Make a big, oh, a big absolutely. conversation? That's part of it. Oh I yeah. I feel like I learned so much from a great costume designer. Oh yeah. Oh no, of course. Uh, I'm sorry I didn't say that before. I think. No, I, I assumed. I just wasn't sure, like with the timeline, if you really get to have that. You kind of have collaboration to. with them or not. Um, we, I think in television, it's this kind of the same experience. I feel like for the actors. So, it, you know, at the end of the day, if if you're an actor and you don't feel like it's right and you're not comfortable, you're still not going to give your best performance. So I still need to be there and be sensitive to that. And that's one of the biggest lessons I've, I have learned is that I do feel like some, sometimes um, in college theater, it would be communicated to us that like we or as, as artists, we were to take uh, orders from the top a little bit. And that's really not what it is at all. As, and and I, I think that's unique to design in educational settings. I don't want to imply that that was an right, actor's was experience because I don't think it was. Yeah. <laughs> But I think that was the biggest thing. And I, you know, you have to have these conversations because they might not be on the same page as you at all. And even though you're, you have, even though I have talked to the writer and I have talked to the director, they may not have always had. So it, that part's important. So, I mean, sometimes you, and you know whether or not you're on the same page and we don't always have a chance to talk about it before the fitting, but right. you know, it, yeah. at least in the room, we're like, we were feeling this direction and this, you know, I think it's so important. Or if an actor sometimes will email me and be like, hey, I had this thought. Can we try this in the next episode? And I always want to say yes as much as I can. I think if it's right, I would love to get to do that. Because that's then it's special for you as the actor, too, to have something that means something to you right. as part of this character. Right. But yeah, I think that's really important. One of my favorite parts. I have a couple little questions I always ask you at the end, but is there anything else that you really want to talk about that we have not touched on? Um since I don't know all the ins and outs of your creative life. I just, uh, I do want to mention a film I was really inspired by recently, um, which was Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. I haven't seen it yet. Is, did, you really liked it? It was beautiful. Okay, I saw it um, right before Christmas because it came out, or excuse me, right after Christmas. It came out December 29th, like just in time for Oscar eligibility. And I ran to the Angelica to catch it and it was the most beautiful love story I've ever seen on on camera and uh, Annette Benning and um, Jamie Bell are giving the performance of their careers even though their careers are you know I feel like uh, Jamie Bell is at barely at the beginning and Annette Benning is is uh, barely at the the peak you know and um, it was just this beautiful palpable love story and nothing about it ever felt forced or anything less than genuine love for each other and I've never, and even though there was like a 40 year age difference, I, it never even became part of the narrative for me. I was like, I've never seen a love like that. And I think we can only hope to be so lucky as to get to experience a love like that that's worth dying for and worth moving heaven and earth for in your lifetime. And I remember, and I walked out of the theater and I was like a mess and I was like calling everyone I knew to be like, you don't understand. Like, this is love. <laughs> this is what love is. You know, I don't know. But that, I, guess. I have to mention that movie because it, I will talk to anyone who'll listen about it. Well, this is perfect because one of the two questions is, have you seen anything lately that oh, yeah. you want to recommend? <laughs> so are there any other things of any art form that you want to 
that you want to recommend people check out Oh. while we're on that subject? Well, now I'm, now I'm stuck. I you just saw something great. One. Did you see Phantom Thread? I did see Phantom Thread, and the clothes were beautiful. Right. And seeing it in 70mm oh. was absolutely incredible. Mm. Frankie and I loved it. I, it was, I saw it twice. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've seen film stars don't live, die in Liverpool twice. And okay, I'm going to see that one this week. Yeah, it's really special. Oh, and Black Panther. My yes, God. I saw it Friday. Wow. I, like, want to go again immediately every day for the rest of my career. Like, Ruth Carter, the costume designer, has... has yeah, the costumes are amazing. Blown away. I mean, I knew... They... When you... Black magic like that is lightning in a bottle. Like, Ryan Coogler and from... At the, at the top, you know that what is going to be... Uh, what's going to be... Uh, manifested on screen is going to be special like from the i mean i because i think about when i think about fruitvale station his uh i think uh i remember walking out of the theater and being like for such a small intimate film that was so it was so big and broad and then to take like that kind of a voice and apply it to something like black panther the film is so important and so it has so much there and it was all made by people that truly wanted to communicate all of the influences and uh, African um, art influences and cultural influences there in this like contemporary modern society that is still true to the, all of their traditions like it blew me away right <laughs> no and it's so smart because you you have this package of the superhero movie yeah so you're like well I know it's gonna be cool but they really can't have like done everything they wanted yeah because they have to fit inside the superhero mold but then you see it, and it's so revolutionary and so political and yeah. incredible to see that sort of representation on screen and the women in it. I was telling incredible. my friend Mechi the other day, it's just like to have the female characters be that central to the plot. It's like, yes, And yes, to be the yes. characters that, like, I when, I when I think about the film and, like, my favorite moments were all about black girl magic. And just and just to have, even though it's this fictitious of course, yeah. country, to have this positive representation of any African nation in a movie, mm-hmm. you realize how bereft yeah. the, the storytelling landscape has been. Correct, that. and just incredible. Which it's so, and it, a lot of people don't get that because they don't know that it's missing, and that's what I think is so important about Black Panther is as the conversation is evolving too, I think people are realizing like this movie is a really, really, yes, it's a Marvel movie. It's like a $300 million prolific action packed, blah, blah, right, blah. And but all it's, those things really well. it's so much more for a culture that is telling a unique story that hasn't really been told before in that way. Yeah. Like to see this beautiful affluent nation and all of these beautiful dark-skinned people like even you know because colorism is still real too on Mm -hmm. especially on television you know um and you don't get to see a lot of dark-skinned african-american especially women on tv because they would rather you know cast a lighter skinned you know and and people don't know that unless you no it's just like force yourself to know it you know like yeah so i think that that was amazing and i was just reading a book too recently I've been doing a lot. I've <laughs> been taking advantage of your little break I've been trying before to you t- go back to work tomorrow. Honestly, I really tried to like read as much as I could and watch as much you. as I could and go to as many museums as I could and 
when I felt like, when I felt like up to it, when I wasn't like completely like sleep a little, <laughs> you know, when I wasn't completely like crippled by like darkness and depression, I tried to be as like, <laughs> well, when you are, when you do have those days where you're feeling depressed and down and stuff, um, I know we talked about walking and going to museums and stuff. Are there any other concrete things that you reach for again and again, like things that you reread or music that you listen to or reaching out to friends or I mean I love music I love I mean my friends are so important to me my friends are my family I don't really have um much of a traditional family anymore so my my New York family is all of these incredible people that I've met yeah and um they are I mean I love them so much and they're extremely supportive of me and I try to be um supportive of them as well I also often find myself like constantly falling back on like I love like soapy dramas. If I'm like feeling a little heavy emotionally, like I, I, I will totally go down for a soapy drama. Like over, I didn't travel this year at Christmas, but um, I, <laughs> I watched like all four seasons of Revenge while everyone was away, <laughs> and I felt like it was so like fun to like hang out and like right. smoke weed and watch Revenge for. Like <laughs> no, for some reason, I still watch Nashville. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I mean, why. you know. Yeah. But I think that's probably you know, one of the things I do. And I, I mean, I try and a, a surefire, a, like a surefire thing for me to do that I know I'll feel better after I do it would be like taking a soul cycle class. But sometimes like leaving the house feels impossible when you're having right. a bad day. No, it's true. <laughs> yeah. But I, which I, it is a new develop like that. I never used to feel like that, but I, I feel like I so much understand that so much more now, especially in the winter. Well, That's yeah, the big thing for me, at least like if the weather's nice, I can be like, okay, I can take a 10 minute walk. Yes, exactly. Step one, get out of the get apartment out of the, for yeah. 10 minutes in the winter. It's like, you don't even want to do that. No. And especially this winter, like I look like looking out the window does nothing. Checking the weather does nothing. <laughs> it's like 80 degrees today and I'm wearing a coat. Like it's too much. <laughs> Well, Josh, thank you this so much so for cool. doing this. This was so cool. Thank you so much. This was a true pleasure. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Compass Podcast. If you find these conversations valuable to your life as an artist and would like to support the ongoing production of The Compass, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thecompasspodcast. Pledges start at as little as $1 a month. You'll get access to bonus content, and anything you can give would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you have a moment, please rate or review in iTunes. Every little bit helps other listeners to find the podcast. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller, music by Brandon Spieth, audio assistance from Nick Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise.